I'm Nels Anderson. And I'm Jesse Turner. And welcome to Terminal 7. It's been a while, Jesse. It has been a while, Nels. But it has been a while. We're back. We are. We're back, and we have some. We have. We, we have something great to talk about. We do. And we do. Is... We were so we were on hiatus only because well, one, it was a summer. That's right. And because you know, summer the weather is nice, it means we were both inside working a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But also, um, we were kind of waiting for the next data pack to come out, and it has. And it has. It's in our. It's in our greedy mitts right now. Yeah. Um, if folks haven't been following super super closely. Uh, the lunar cycle has just begun. It will be the next six data packs, um, the first of which is Upstock. Mm -hmm. And unlike the previous cycle, uh, the spin cycle, which was kind of had more of like a mechanical um, unifying theme, theme or yeah, whatever, theme. Sure. Um, that it was kind of like about bad publicity and that sort of stuff, like from the outset... Lunar cycle is absolutely thematic. Yeah. Like, it is all about space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very, very cool. Which is actually rad. Like, yep. thematically, I mean, like, most, just as as kind of a, a, a fictional construct, like, most sci-fi stuff is, like, you know, crazy, faster-than-light spaceships and, like, insane, like, so far in the future, it's basically just made-up stuff, right? Sure. But it's, isn't, it's like magic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it basically is, right? There isn't, like, a ton of sci-fi that is, like, conceivably, plausibly, you know, 50 to 100 years in the future. Yeah, we're talking, like, right? children of men kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly, right? like, stuff like that. And, and there isn't a lot of sci-fi like that that has that kind of um, the setting... That is a, still also about space. Sure. Right? And that's sure. rad. Like, I like the grittiness of, like, how goddamn hard actually getting stuff into space is. Yeah, yeah. And, and when it's, like, just magic in Star Trek, where it's like, oh, there's just a million spaceships. They just push a button and they go across the universe. It's like, well, that doesn't capture kind of, like, how insane and awful trying to do shit in space actually is. Yeah, yeah. I think I think they really brought that in with, with Wayland with they built a beanstalk yeah. to the moon and look at all the trouble it caused. Look yeah. how many, like, lives were lost and how many A how much space problems. elevator. Yeah, and yeah. it... They brought like it's it's cut it's it's built on blood and bodies. Like, yeah. it's it's cool. It's yeah. very, and very that's, cool. That is apparently why, like almost I mean, there's cards like the New Angeles City Hall and stuff like that, but kind of New Angeles being the most important city in the whole Netrunner universe is because that's where the, because it's on the, the equator, that's yeah, it's the root. That is where the terminus of the Beanstalk space elevator is. And that is why this first data pack is called Upstock, because it's Going like, up the beanstalk. Yeah, kind of like the, the data packs seem to almost have this, like, actual progression in Into, physical space right. moving up the beanstalk. Yeah. So this one doesn't actually have any locations that are on the moon I believe it might have yet. one. Or maybe one. The, the, the sports center, I believe. The... That's not in this data pack, though. Oh, whoops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we saw that one in the draft. Yeah, sorry, not we... in this data pack. Yes. You'll, you'll have to forgive me a little bit because me and Nels did do a draft with, with Overdrive. Overdrive. And there's a few cards there that are... In, in the, the lunar cycle. In the lunar cycle, but yeah. But weren't in this data pack. Yet. That's correct. So if I if I mention something that's not in this uh, draft, Nels will probably correct me, or one one, yeah, yeah. one of you great listeners will correct me. <laughs> well. Yes, for the purposes of this conversation, we're just sticking with this stuff that's in Upstock. 
Um, specifically, we can start with the corp cards. Sure. Um, apparently, this whole uh, this whole card cycle, all six packs are going to have at least one new ID in them. That's exciting. This pack actually had two. Yep. The first of which, the corporate new corporate identity, is the Near Earth Hub Broadcast Center. For our friends at NBN, the... Oh, God, what does NBN actually stand for? I forgot. Um, oh, geez, now you're making me forget. News Broadcasting Network? Oh, we are so bad. All right, news... Pro- let, let's go with News Broadcasting. It's probably not that. <laughs> it's probably that. not that. Uh, cool. Uh, but yes... Uh, the ID is the first time you create a server each turn, draw one card. The deck has 45 card minimum and 17 points of influence. Yeah, so we can bring your Scorch decks online better mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, we can do we could we could fast advance, but I think this opens up for more interesting NBN play. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, lots of people obviously like. If you're doing the normal meat and potatoes, like NBN Fast Advance thing, it's fine. More influence for having biotics. three biotic sure. labors and also some ice that isn't crappy. It's yeah. like, that's, that's nice. That's not a problem. Um, but definitely playing against this a little bit on Octagon, there I've definitely seen some times where people just go like crazy horizontal <laughs> with a, just a mountain of unprotected assets. And like as the runner, if you have to blow two or three of your clicks per turn just running on stuff to see, oh, there's another marked accounts. There's another Sand Sand City grid. Like, you can very easily fall behind because those runs, like, even if you have Desperado, you're you're just getting, like, one credit, right? It's like, if you're really lucky, you could dirty laundry into something, into one of these brand new remotes that keep falling out, and it hasn't, and they don't sack the Jackson to make you lose your dirty laundry (laughs) credits. Yeah. So then it's like, but aside from that, like, it's actually really easy. Someone doing the crazy, like, just blitz out remotes, horizontal play, it's actually really easy as the runner to fall behind. So then when they actually start putting real ice onto agendas to protect them and score them, you're like, oh, God, I don't have any breakers out because I haven't needed them, but I also don't have the money to install them, and blech. Right, right. Yeah, it is it is interesting, like, how fast you can go dropping out all of those remotes and then and then recharging like getting the card back that's yeah that that's how you're able to do that right it's just the the instant card replacement yeah which is and crazy it, and it keeps um your agenda from like if you only have like if you're holding on to your uh if you're holding on to hq if blah, if you're holding on to agendas and they're just sitting in your hq then if you're playing out assets, well, now your HQ is less card thin, and it's easier for the runner to pick something out of there. But if you just get to keep hoovering stuff into your HQ as soon as it's going out of it, that can be pretty darn potent. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very, very strong ID. And it's it's I guess it's cool. I guess NBN's always been on top, like, recently. Yeah. Uh, they've been doing quite well. Yeah. Um, this this is one of those cards that's powerful enough that it's going to, I think it's going to see play, which is cool. Like, yeah, I, for sure. I'm excited to see a lot of, a lot of yeah. decks going uh, yeah. this way. I mean, it's definitely... We'll we'll get to the other ID in here in a bit, which obviously facilitates a very very different approach to normal <laughs> yes, play. That is While great. this, like, you could just kind of take a strong, you know, NBN fast advanced deck, swap, swap it this out, out yep. like maybe turn a few operations into assets instead, and then you'd kind of be good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do definitely think that there are more interesting things people can do with it. Yep, and I hope that that kind of that people kind of. Explore that avenue as well, instead yeah, of just being like, "How do you make a different, a slightly different, but still basically the same fast advance deck?" Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but it is yeah, yeah, it is cool. It's a very, very yeah, very, very cool card. Good job um, there, FF. 
So as far as the rest of the cards go, what what else in 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 Upstock did you find interesting for the corporations? I think we need to talk about um, the sleepers, domestic sleepers, domestic sleepers. Yes, because domestic so, sleepers like read that card. It's awesome. Okay, so it is. There was only one new agenda in this pack. Uh, domestic sleepers is it. It is an HB agenda. It is only. Two advances to score, <gasps> but they've been but they've been crushing fast advance nails. How could they print this card? But this card is worth zero agenda points. Insane, insanity. But it has, uh, if it is scored, it has an ability, and that ability is spend three clicks, place one agenda counter on domestic sleepers. Domestic sleepers is worth one agenda point, while it has at least one agenda counter on it. Yep. So that wording. Also, as, as a brief aside, I think that wording also is interesting because I think it implies in the future, either later in this pack or just in future packs, there will be abilities that let you remove agenda counters right. from scored agendas. Right, or move them or something yeah. crazy. Yeah, so, so that, is, that is definitely interesting. But aside from that, basically, the corporation scores this. It'll probably just score it out of hand, maybe, or maybe you'll put it down on the table because if it gets stolen, well, who cares? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like you kind of have lost access to a point, but the runner hasn't gained anything. Really. That's right. Yeah. Um. So usually you'll either score it out of hand, score it on the table, whatever, and then it just kind of sits there like, like a like a loaded round in a gun, basically. Yep. And then when you score six other net points, you go, okay, it's your turn, and now the runner basically has, has to win one turn. <laughs> yep. To win the game. Yep. And if they don't do that, next turn you go, uh, click, 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 one more point. And it's game yours. Over. And the flavor of this card is the best. I yes. can't get enough of it. It's yep. like, so the picture is um, a, a, a Bioroid waitress, I guess, or a Bioroid yeah, maid or, like, or something. Maid server or something like and that. And she's drowning her owner in a pool with yep. one hand and not even, not even, not, not even spilling the, uh, the, the, red, the, 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 the red juice. That yeah. But So that's perfect because the runner scores it and he's like, but she's a murderer, and yeah. nobody believes her. Yeah. And the corpse scores her, and he's like, well, and then he it's waits. It's like, it's nothing, it's nothing. And then oh. later on. I just, oh, I just, once once, uh, the, yep. once it all fell into place, I was just like, oh, this is just perfect. It's yeah. just such a it's, cool card. Yeah, it's awesome. It's Archer Bait. It also shifts your HB into something like Harmony Medtech, where. Yeah, kind of. I, I, well, what? I, you have to score th- three five threes mm-hmm. as a runner. And right. I have to score two five threes, and then another and then hand. one of these. So yeah, it really it's 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 a pretty cool. It's 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 just such a cool card. Yeah, you can do you can definitely do a lot of very interesting stuff with it now. Yeah, and um, and, and and the best the best case for the runner, he's got a data dealer, so we get nine bucks, or yep. you can frame job, which circles back onto the domestic sleepers. It's right. So, it's so, <laughs> it's not, in hell? this case, it's not even a frame job. It's I like know. not another. My <laughs> is actually just I'm a goddamn murderer. Yeah, it's just unreal. <laughs> I swear. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool. The fact that there are zero point agents because like I mean I, I have less trepidation about using stuff like data dealer or frame job than I think some people do but there's all like there is definitely a big mental roadblock you gotta crawl over to be willing to throw away an agenda for some other yeah. value right like but with even, this even resident archer is still a big deal no yeah. matter what you're using with it yeah but especially for the runners like this thing is this thing is like literally garbage in your score area <laughs> yeah that's right so the fact that you can Get rid of it and actually turn it into something useful with data dealer or frame job is awesome. Yeah, that's that's giving benefits both sides. The, yeah. ba- the, the balance is still here. Yeah, very 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 cool card. I think I just th- thought we had, really had to mention it because it was kind of the. Uh, I think it's one of the more talked about cards in this. Uh, yeah, it is definitely it is definitely very interesting mechanically. Yeah, and again encourages people to maybe do something with an HB deck that hasn't been as easy to make a case for before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's cool. 
Um, I also liked Mutate. <laughs> Mutate I, is weird. I, have you okay? Have you used Mutate to some degree uh, with of success? Some degree of success, <laughs> which is I, I, I will put it that way. Usually, some the best cards are like this. Um, yeah. So, Mutate is a Jinteki operation. It is three influence, and what it does is, when played, as an additional cost to play this operation, trash a res piece of ice. So you throw away one of your pieces of ice. But what you do is you then reveal cards from the top of R&D until you reveal a piece of ice, any piece of ice. Install and res that ice in the same position as the ice that was trashed, ignoring all costs. All costs. Yeah. Yep. Shuffle R&D. So the stuff you're flipping off the top of R&D doesn't go away. No. It's the just, runner it's just, just a reveal. sees it. Yeah. So they know what, if they see a couple scorched earths in there or something, they kind of, they know what your they game know what's plan up. is. Yeah, but th- then again, you're also playing Mutate, so they have no idea what your game plan is. Right. <laughs> and, and it's two credits to use. Yeah, two credits to um, use. So, obviously, the thing you want to do is mutate some very small, cheap to res ice into some very big, expensive to res ice. Like using um, Shiro, or what's the... Yeah, uh, well, so, yeah. So, I mean, ideally what you do is turn a pup into, like, a Susano no Mikoto or a Wall of Thorns. Or Janice. Get get Janice in there. Get get, get some big, crazy ice in there. Yeah, Um, but what that means is you're going to want... Because, like, paying two credits to turn a pup into a Yagura or something... (laughs) It makes you very sad. It's play of the day, really. Yeah. yeah. So what you want to do is you you want to know what you've got coming up in R and D before you do that. So the main the main go to was precog when this was first. Yep. I believe I believe the stim hack guys got yeah, a, they, they got a preview of this, like, which is very cool. Yeah. So precog is definitely a great thing to use with this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the ice you mentioned, Shiro, which winning it's a code gate that when encountered, uh, you look at the top three cards of your R and D. You can rearrange them however you want, and then the Runner accesses one unless you unless the corporation pays a credit. Yeah. But whatever, that's fine. I mean, ideally, you just put something that's not an agenda on top. You put that big, lovely piece of ice you saw second. So then at the start of your turn, you draw that thing on top. Then you play Mutate to then bring out whatever that next humongous thing is. Sure. Um, Jank- so, yeah, it's it's not a thing you're going to want to put into, into, like, your typical Jinteki deck, right? Like, no. Because a lot of Jinteki's strength is it surprises, and obviously... There, there are both no surprises from what the ice is going to be and also what's coming out of your deck. Um, but where I think it's really good is in Harmony MedTech. Uh, because, like, really what you want to do with that, at least one way to play it, is you just build, like, some huge, super expensive remote server and score out of that. And so Precog is just generally good anyway because sure. if you've got so few agendas. Like, you're, the only time you're really sad when you're playing Harmony is when, like, that... That other five for three agenda that's not feature perfect is sitting in like your top four cards, right? Yeah, and it gets pulled out of there at the beginning of the game, which has happened to me. <laughs> um, and then you're like, "Well, this game's halfway over, and I got nothing, so I'm sad now." Um, so just being able to like having precog and harmony tech is solid anyway, right? Like, no, you don't have to worry about R and D for like the next five turns. Mm-hmm. Is very nice. Yeah. Um, so then being able to use that and then having precog just around in general for setting up mutates. That makes sense. So it's so solid. The, so the precog is being used more than just one way. Exactly. And yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And then you can you can usually get away with like just having snowflakes and Yagura and stuff early game and then you can switch it into the big ice late game. I mean yeah. the tricky bit is is that you gotta draw in the right order. Or yeah. yeah. Or find ways to get ice back into R and D stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. so it's certainly not like 
yes, this is obvious. Everybody's used, but it's it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's a neat card. I I I, I love the exposed and the shuffle back in. Yeah, yeah. um, that's, yeah, that is definitely that's, cool. That's that, that's also very Jinteki. That's oh, very yeah. very cool. Yep. What else did you like? Um, I liked the uh, so so we saw the first bit of Grail Ice, which I think which I was pretty stoked on. Yes. Um, which is Galahad, one uh-huh. of the uh, Knights of the Round, I believe. Yeah. And he we got a bit of a chance to mess around with it with other Grail Ice in the draft. Yes. Well, I did at least. I drafted a bunch because yes. was the, the it was the new shiny thing that got passed to me. But uh, it's cool because I saw that it's gonna have influence, it's gonna be neutral influence, which is always yep. cool. They're um, all just one point. Yeah. Yeah. One point. And with Galahad, what I noticed, uh, as well as I peeked at the other cards, of yeah. course, uh, he's, uh, Galahad's inter- interests me because early game, he's a good stopper that can get beefed up with this other Grail Ice. Yeah, because he's really cheap, two, right? Two to res, one strength, one subroutine, which is end the run. Yep. And uh, l- late game, you can hold him in your hand and you can buff the super strong Grail Ice with this with this low cost ice. Yeah, because so, if if people haven't heard about it, what what is what is the special thing that all grail ice does? Right, all grail ice sends Excalibur of course. Uh when you when the run, runner hits the ice, you can reveal up to two grail ice from your hand and give those subroutines to that ice. Right. So you do have a cloggy hand. Like your hand is yeah. just full of this stuff. But what happens It's also is, full of ice, which is stuff that can't be trashed. So when the runner goes hitting your HQ fishing for agendas, that's what they're going to catch. It's just going to sit there. Sure. And, like, so, so, some of the revealed Grail Ice is, like, deal two net damage. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, trash a program. Yeah. That's off a little tiny barrier. Right. Or trash a program also has a nice little end the run. It's, like, a really, really crazy Yeah. And, and the subroutines of the ice don't change when it gets that other stuff from the Grail. So even, so even though Galahad is a barrier, potentially it could pick up. The ability to deal net damage. And trash a program. Or trash a program. So we're looking at a destroyer so, and a sentry, typically. Yeah, so the behavior normally of a sentry. So if someone has their sentry breaker down, and they hit a Galhad, and you're able to swap in the... Additionally add yep. the subroutine that trashed their program. There's nothing they can do about it, even though the runner thought they were safe because they had their sentry breaker out. Yeah, yeah. Really, really, really cool mechanically. Uh, like, yeah. Um, I thought I, I'm pretty excited about Grail Ice. Uh, the one influence is going to hurt my next deck that I want to build with it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. And also, I have to mention another ice that I loved in this set that I thought was pretty important was the Lotus Field. Oh yes, yes. Which is it's, a, it's pretty hard to is, not it, is, is it five five res? It is a Jinteki Codegate. Yeah, of course. Of course, uh, that is five credits to res. That's it correct. Has yeah. Four strength and just one influence. Yeah, that's that's the huge thing because yeah. that that right there is saying everyone uses card. Yep. Please. All it does is end the run, except it has one very other important property. Yeah, which and, is which is it can't be its strength cannot be lowered. Yep. It, <laughs> so data sucker, data sucker, sorry, parasite. Yep. Ice carver, none of it. Like this is reliable, reliable ice. Yeah. Yeah. Lotus uh, Field on the, on the is, cheap. Lotus Field is literally yog proof. Yep. There's an, oh, I guess you could buff the strength of yog. So if you buff the strength of yog with personal touch sure. or put it on a dinosaur or whatever, then it's fine. Sure. But very rarely Until then, do people actually do that unless yeah. they're like playing as kit. <laughs> yeah. And so so we have like a and, and five for four strength end of the run is still pretty it's good. decent. Yeah. yeah. Um so it's really strong card that's gonna be see a ton of a crap ton of play. Yeah. For sure. Um in general, like of of the Jinteki identities that are out there, I think the one that it loves the most is definitely the Tenon Institute. Sure. Oh yeah. Because yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of taxing, but not like so crazy taxing. It's an it's an obvious include in replicating perfection. Yep. But for tenon, it's like oh, that is just solid. Like and the run ice. It's not you don't want you don't want to see it first because it's a little bit expensive. Yep. But a little bit of the ways into the game, that thing is going like, to do its work -game, for a long time. When you're mid game, when you're not casting Grims, you're 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 resing Lotus Field, yeah. right? Like this is that ice that just fills that gap with like, not the weird middle game that Corpse had where they blow crap up and they and they move stuff around. It's the mid mid game where it's like, no, the game, I'm still stopping you from running, yeah. which is cool. Yeah, um, Lotus Field is definitely interesting and cool mechanically because it's not. I think it's it's good because it encourages people to have. To, to build the runner decks in a way that have to be more flexible. Yeah. Like, you can't, like, your approach can't just be, well, I will parasite every single ice I see to zero and just trash it all. I will just have a million clone chips and scavenges yep. and it will all just get destroyed. It's like, you're going to have to actually just install an icebreaker yep. and break some ice. I do, su <laughs> I do suppose you can fem it. But then again, that's still a fem. Yeah, that's so, fine. That's I mean, if that's your answer, that's totally legit, yeah, right? Yeah. But I think it's, it's good to have ice that forces people to be a little bit more considered and build a little bit more flexibility in the runner decks versus just, I'm just going to do one thing yeah, exclusively. Yeah, yeah on, on the release of Lotus Field, I, I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, that's cool. So the guy that invented Lotus Field was like, I made some ice that isn't porous. Yes. Like, that was his pitch to, like, yeah. the, the, the building. Yeah. Like, ooh, that's interesting. We should use this. Oh, it sounds good. Yes. <laughs> it's the opposite of being porous. It is it is hearty and hale. Yeah, exactly. It's good. Um, the other ice in the in Upstock that I thought was really cool was the Mother Goddess. Oh, man. I am in love with that card. So Mother Goddess is a piece of mythic ice. It is unique as all these, like, mythic. yeah, god, supernatural yeah. being ice seem to be. Um, Mother Goddess, initially, its only type is Mythic, period. Yep. But, and it all it's, it's just a four-strength piece of ice that only has one sub, which is End the Run. Except, it also has the interesting property of Mother Goddess gains the subtypes of all other resed ice. So that, is, so that is initially bad, yeah. because... Pretty soon the barrier is out. It's a barrier on that. It can be hit with a fractor and yep. so on and so yeah. on. So basically it falls to, like, once you've started having to res other ice, it basically just becomes whatever is the most efficient breaker the runner has to get rid of it. Yeah. And remember, folks, it's unique. Yes, it's the, unique. So, so once you res one, if you res another one, the first one goes away. Yeah. Um, but what it does do is it, because it gains all, all the subtypes, subtypes of all res ice, it counts as next ice. Which is... Insane. Yep. Um, it also has the downsides of it counts. It is like if you have a destroyer somewhere else on the board, Mother Goddess can now be broken with say sharpshooter. Sure. Yeah. If if you have if you have a tracer on gingerbread now <laughs> becomes this clutch breaker here. Right. Sure. But four um, for four and the run. We're like this is like this like reminds me of Rainbow a bit. A bit. -ish. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's like initially it is it is an impossibly hard in the run ice because yeah. it's the only thing that's resed. You need an AI breaker to get through it. Like you want that early scoring window? Boom! Yeah. Mother Goddess is there for you, which is yeah. cool. I I I, I do dig, dig this card a lot. Yeah, because and then, you also... and then after that, it's basically just a rainbow where it's still. I mean, four to get through is not sure. cheap. Even with Corroder, it's yeah. three. Yeah, three. Or any of the other like strength two, one to boost, one to break, Gordian, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool, cool card. And again, we got our second batch of next dice in this one, which yes. is next silver. Next silver. And next is... silver is. Way, way powerful, I think. Because oh, yeah. Because it adds subroutines per yep. 
other yeah. Next Unlike res. next bronze, uh, next silver is a barrier that is three, three res. res. It's a little pricey. Yeah, sure. and then it only has one strength. Um, but for every next ice resed on the board, including itself, it gets an end run subroutine. So you manage to get like two bronzes and two of these guys up and a mother goddess. All of a sudden, that thing has five freaking subroutines, like yeah. hive, except. Those subroutines don't yeah. go away as you're scoring agendas. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm worried because uh, the next dice reminds me kind of of how slivers were in Magic, which is, wow. oh well, they're basically just like these tiny little creatures, but they keep giving their powers to the other ones that are resed. So pretty mm. soon, all these one ones are now four four, and they're flying and they're beat, they're they're, they're monstrosities. Right. So the this ice is quickly becoming, in my head, anyways, uh, monstrous, monstrous decks. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm a little bit worried, I'm a little bit worried, but um, I'm excited to use it because uh, I, I really do like the idea of next dice. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, and the, the last thing in here that I thought was especially interesting is, uh, is a form of tag punishment that is dissimilar from what we've seen before, right? Yeah, which I didn't even think of when I... Like yeah. when this card came out, it was a surprise to me. I'm like, oh, of course, that's a great, a great way of doing yeah, it. Yeah, because like a lot of, like, a lot of... I mean, previously, like, the two biggest... Tag punishment things were scorched earth, but obviously you just drop a plastic creek carapace and you're fine. Or closed Close accounts, accounts, which can actually be worse for you. Really <laughs> vicious, but yeah. for some reason, lots of people still don't run it, and I don't yeah. know why. Um, like with tag me anarch, especially being a huge thing, like tag me anarch just just it falls just, apart just if, you, if you drop a closed accounts on it. Yep. And yet, still, almost nobody runs closed accounts. It's only one influence. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, but now there is something else. That's right. Which is kind of like that bad times. Bad times. And it is indeed bad times. It is. It is a four-credit neutral operation. It's a, a gray op for the purposes of Tally Perot, I guess. Sure. Um, and obviously, it's play only if the runner is tagged. And what it does is the runner's memory limit is reduced by two until the end of the turn. So early game, does nothing. Nope. Does nothing. Late game, it can make you very, very sad. It can like reset the board. And have almost. a very bad time indeed. Sure, we could we we could see source double bad time. That, yeah. That could be a thing. Oh yeah, the because like yeah, if you manage to pull up two of them or you're playing some kind of crazy Wayland like instead of tagging bag, like tagging trash, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah. But yeah, you you like pull up two of these with two Atlas tokens. Hit tag somebody with a sea scorch, and then they're down for memory. That could mean they have nothing, or they have one MU. And sure. It's like okay, pick the one program you want to keep. Yeah, I talk about a board reset. Yeah, like, wow, that is very 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 cool card. Vicious. Yeah, and it's and it's neat because it's not like oh, it just removes memory. Like it, it's 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 not like I'm blowing up your apartment complex. Yeah, it's like you ran out of memory, and all of a sudden you wake up and there's nothing there. Like yeah. I I I really like it. Uh, thematically as a card as well. Yeah, and because it's like, if it was just straight up like play and trash a runner's program or something, that would be like way, too way strong, too powerful, too right? Strong. But the fact it's like, okay, well, your your MU is reduced, so figure out how to deal with that. And yeah. that might mean people start packing a little bit more MU so they sure. have a little bit more flexibility. Or, at the worst, the runner gets to choose like, okay, well, what am I going to get rid of? Versus like the corporation obviously would just snipe their best card yeah, if it was yeah. like trash or program. Yeah, the card the card feels very net runner, very yes. in, in a good way. Yeah. Um, was there anything else? I had I had one more shout out because I love Wayland Ice and Taurus. <laughs> Taurus is here. Okay, yes. And it's okay, it's cost five, there's an awesome bull on it. Oh yeah. It's great. Oh, yeah. It costs five for five strength, I believe. Five strength century. Five strength century, five for five, no complaints. It's got one subroutine and it is a trace of 
to, I want to say I, I want to say base strength is two. Two trace of two. Yep, that's correct. If successful, trash one piece of hardware. If your trace strength is five or greater, trash one piece of hardware. Yes. So, so it can take out two pieces of hardware. Yeah, those two clauses are completely independent. That's correct. So if if the runner hits this piece of ice, they don't break it. And the wording is like a little bit, like I had to read it a couple times yeah. before I understood exactly what he was saying. So if the runner encounters that ice and they don't break it, basically all Wayland has to do is pay three credits and they're guaranteed to trash one piece of the runner's hardware. Right. And then if the runner doesn't beat the trace, you Wayland get another. trash another one. Yeah, so that's interesting is like the way you read it is you read it backwards and that's kind of how things are actually happening. Yeah. Because you have a guarantee of a, a hardware trash, but you also have a pretty good chance of trashing two pieces of hardware. And yeah. there's not a piece of ice yet that really does as much physical damage, not net, like, you know, net yeah. kind of stuff. Like, yeah. th- this blows up your toaster. Like, that's... Right. <laughs> it's cool. And, like, what I what I kind of like about this is, uh, like, I, I the setup I kind of thought, the dream setup is like, oh, there goes your two plastreets, right. I guess. Like, you open up your closet and there's just... Ashes. Ashes, I guess. <laughs> Cyber moths. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, deck space is going to be tight, but I, I do like this card. I think... Um, yeah. I mean, because it's also, like, super taxing, right? Like, it's a five-strength sentry. It's only yep. five to res. I mean, if the runner doesn't have any hardware, well, they can just keep running through it. Yep. But you aren't going to want to... Like, after the initial part of the game, you aren't going to want to get rid of your console or your R&D interfaces or sure. whatever else, right? Like, Yeah. And, and this, this might make... Um, Runners uh, run more hardware, or maybe like sure, just like more yeah. copies of it. Yeah, or sacrificial construct, sure. which most people use it obviously just to prevent program trashing. But sacrificial construct can also prevent hardware trashing. It's like a program and a hardware wrapped into one. I know That's something so, like that. So, so crazy. So yeah, so Corp got a lot of <laughs> cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff. Yes, yep. for sure, for sure. Um, over on the runner side, things were a little, little dry. bit less interesting. Yeah, I, um, I gotta agree. Uh, aside from the new ID. So the new ID is a shaper, Nasir Madan. Yeah. Madan? Uh, I don't know how that's supposed to be pronounced. Um, he is a cyber explorer, which is important. Yeah. Uh, he has one link. Um, he His identity is a cyborg, if that matters. Um, he's 4515, just like normal. But he has a very, <laughs> he is very unusual ability. Normal Pro- is not a word probably, for this Probably, honestly, the... In terms of like how you'd approach deck building and play, the most influential like identity ability. Period. Right. We're not just gaining five less cards of one more MU. It is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like you get a you get a discount on some programs. Like he's completely different. This is like advanced netrunner stuff. I yeah. Think. The way his ability works is whenever you encounter a piece of ice that was just resed, lose all credits in your credit pool, gain <laughs> credits. Equal to the res cost of that ice. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so as everyone tries to wrap their head around that, that's got to be the most sideways way of thinking. Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's just crazy. And yeah. I I had a question. Maybe you can clarify this for me. Um, me and Kayla were talking about this. Mm-hmm. The if Rook, if Rook is out, yes, or Reina, her well, like, obviously it won't be exactly, right but now. so so if Rook if Rook is or out, Cortez Chip. Thank you, Cortez Chip is out. Does that add to the money you gain? I think it. I think it does, does because it's because that was the res cost. Like it costs eight to res now, so it so it now cost, it costs ten. So now it costs. I would imagine. I mean, it might depend on the wording of the various cards. Like some cards might say 
as an additional cost to res this ice, sure. also paying where blah, it blah, blah, blah Where credits. it would be exempt. Right. From that. But this but is, I think, this just adds red, res cost. Yeah, I think most, I think stuff like Xanadu just says the cost to res ice is, is increased by, by one. one. And that's like, so that's even more crazy with, yeah. this, with, with yeah. this card. So Nasir, so it, I, I guess for people who aren't like intimately familiar with the timing structure of the run, this, like the difference in the, in the different phases is very, very important. Yeah. So when you're, when you're attacking a server as the runner, um, and you're approaching through its ice defenses, the first thing that happens is the runner approaches the ice. Think of that as like proper noun, capital A, approaches. As the runner is approaching, that's when the corporation has to pay to res their ice. If they don't, the runner just goes right past that ice further on into the server or to the next piece of ice or whatever. Right. Um, so during that approach phase is when the corporation has to res their ice. And then once that ice is resed, the next step is the runner encounters it. But in between the approach and the encounter, the runner has the ability to spend credits on abilities. Right. Like doing whatever they want to do. So, nor I mean, this kind of, I think most people, if they're not aware of that distinction, still play this way where, say, if you're running at some server, corporation reses a toll booth, you can say with like a self-modifying code or savoir faire or whatever, you can install a parasite on that hit it with some data sucker tokens, it disappears, so it's gone before you even lose the three credits for encounter. Right, that little window got fatter and fatter and fatter as Shaper got all these tools. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, so it absolutely they're did. They're just like, picture all these things just cramming through this little ice window of like, yeah. oh, now I just do yeah. all this garbage. Yeah, and through that 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 delightful little window <laughs> is, is where Nasir squeezes. That's right. Because like the, the, it seems like the essential thing that you have to be able to do playing Nasir Madan is you have to be able to spend credits you have before they all go away when you encounter that next piece of, when you actually encounter the ice itself. Right. Um, and so Nasir Madan's best friend in the entire <laughs> goddamn world yeah. is personal workshop. Is definitely personal like, workshop. without question. Because if folks, I mean, I think personal workshop kind of fell out of favor for a little while, so folks don't remember how it works. Basically, personal workshop hosts... Uh, hardware or programs. Yeah. At the start of at the start of the runner's turn, uh, they remove one. Uh, sorry, when the program or hardware goes onto the personal workshop, it gets a number of counters on it equal to its cost. Right. And then at the start of your turn, one of those counters comes off one card that's on that personal workshop. Which is workshop. important because I can host five things on it. Yep. But only one counter per turn is being yeah. taken off. So it's basically, you know, you have these projects that you're all yeah. kind of tinkering with on the side. Um, like, you know, that novel that everybody's working on. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the thing you can do is at any point, you can just spend credits to remove the 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 counters on those cards. On a, uh, on a one-to-one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's like you can get a discount initially, and then when you want it, you just pay the difference, and boop, it shows up. Yeah. But what that means for Nasir is however many credits he's got, he can dump those onto stuff in the personal workshop, be at zero, then encounter the ice that was just rezzed, Whoop, his credit pool goes all the all way back up, up to yep. whatever the res cost of that ice was, which then he can dump further into that ice, into yeah. that stuff in the personal workshop, and now he's got whatever he needs. Yeah, like that's uh, even even like a self a self mod too. If you yes. if you needed to bring it out, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a great. Yeah. He's a S self SMC is also fantastic. It's not quite as strong as personal workshop because obviously with SMC it's all or nothing. Yeah, right. Like you have to be able to pay the extra two credits for installing stuff off of self modifying code. Yeah, and then the actual cost of installing installing whatever the program is. But self modifying code. 
probably also maybe clone chip. Um, and the personal workshop are like the foundations of running this year. Without those, you are it would be challenging. Yeah, and I, at best, <laughs> I also I also think we're gonna start to see a lot more recurring credits because those credits aren't affected by this. Year. Yes, like a yeah, so stuff toolbox on, stuff, stuff on toolbox or cloak, a cloak or cyber yeah. feeder that kind of stuff. The recurring credits, the ice transaction doesn't touch that. Right. So yeah. So the big obviously the big downside of his ability is if you hit ice that has like zero or one <laughs> res cost. Yeah, you're not getting. Now very you're rich. very sad. Yeah, you're not getting very rich. Um, and also cards like Crescentus could be crazy with him. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, you got the, I, I gained 10 bucks off your Heimdall and now yep. I'm going to gain another 10 bucks off your Heimdall. And now, you, now I break it, shut it down. Yeah. It's a it weird, weird, weird card. Like yeah. what playing, I've played against, uh, some people who are running this year decks on Octagon. And the thing that is crazy is definitely like his credit pool just goes up and down. <laughs> I'm mean, like a, like a sine wave. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's never like usually with the runner, you have some, like they may drop a clutch, like lucky fine sure. out of nowhere. But yeah. in general, you're like, I know about how many credits the runner is going to be able to act, but be able to pull next turn. Yeah. He, but with this, you're like, he just, he, I have no idea. He, he messes with windows. He messes with a weird little window and he messes with like, I think this is my scoring window. It's like, no, it's not. Cause he can do this crazy bonkers stuff with his yeah. all his credits. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to absolutely one hundred percent build a deck around the ID. Yeah, but if you do, it's it's very different and very interesting to play around for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to get played against and played with next year. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. He's he's definitely of all the cards in the data pack, I think the one that is like. The most different from anything we've seen. Oh yeah, I that it, it gets it. It always surprises me that they come up with stuff like this. Yeah. That is like, oh, this is what we're doing now. And they also brought in another card, which is like Nasir's ability, which is the shaper yes. card, which is called um, social engineering. Social engineering cost two. Yep. You name a piece of ice. It is a priority event as well, so you so have to play on your first click. First click. First click. Yep. Yeah. And you you basically you pick a piece of ice. Yep. And then if it is res this turn you gain credits equal to whatever its res cost was. That's right, yeah. So potentially, Nasir could use social engineering... Yeah, and double his... To get the money twice. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. He can get the money twice with social engineering. Um, it'd be helpful if he had a bit of exposed running, so maybe you can yes. snipe ice. But it is every time he runs into unresed ice. Yeah. Is that correct? Every time. Yeah. So, man. It is, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Crazy. Um, what else of the runner cards did you dig in this? Man, there was not a lot. I'm not going to lie. There wasn't, like, the runners yeah. didn't get too many stuff. I wasn't too impressed with the priority things until I saw them, like, oh, Nasir can double Nasir. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. Um, people are kind of soaked on Lamprey a little bit, but yeah. I, it's one cost virus and it's got a bit of a squeeze and it's cool because it doesn't gain tokens, but when you purge it, it dies. Yeah. So what exactly does Lamprey do? So Lamprey is a one cost virus. Uh, just one MU. Just one MU. And when you do a successful run on the HQ, the corp loses one credit. Yep. And that's it, it. That's it. It doesn't gain tokens or counters or. Yep. Uh, just sits there. Yeah, sits there and just <laughs> let, hoover to the side on. of the of the HQ and just slurping stuff out. Yeah, but when the corp purges, we destroy Lamprey. Yep. So that's. That's kind of that. That's kind of cool card. I like the new virus mechanic, so we don't need, everything doesn't get tokens and crap. Yeah, I, I find as a playing as a corp, when there's like three viruses out, I just get like frustrated because there's like eight 
tokens lying around. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what is this? Yeah. That's a nerve agent one? Okay, what's and, a And, uh, I mean, we don't need to get into it now, um, but we've also, uh, Fantasy Flight has released some future virus cards that will allow you to move virus tokens around right. and stuff yeah. like that. So the fact that this is a virus... So obviously, noise gets his mailability. You can pull it up with Jin, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. But it still exists outside of the virus counter yeah. thing. Is is I think is interesting. And yeah, good. yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um. One thing I did like, uh, in addition in here was the leprechaun. Leprechaun. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not I'm, gonna do some horrible fiddly dee potatoes <laughs> thing because that's racist. <laughs> that's right. Against leprechauns. Uh, yes. <laughs> um. But leprechaun is a shaper program. It is just two to install, one MU. It is it is a demon, just like Jin or Scheherazade. Yep. And what Leprechaun does is Leprechaun can host up to two programs. The memory cost of hosted programs do not count against your memory limit. Now which that's means, crazy. Yeah, you can drop a magnum opus and a keyhole on here. Yep. And it just costs you one MU. Yeah. Yeah. It's it um I I heard some people were actually saying this is the best shaper console. Uh, <laughs> like, you, like, you, you could pull it up with a, with a self modifying sure. code. It's yeah. really cheap to cheap, install. Like, uh, yeah, um, the this this is like this is that unstable memory, right? Like we have yeah. we, we have the chips and the the four cost two memory yeah. Cyberdex solutions, but we also have this like kind of risky gambit. It will yeah. cost less. Put put an Opus on it and a battering ram, and you know what I mean. Like yeah. the fact that it doesn't um, it doesn't actually give you more MU though. So things like Overmind yeah don't don't benefit at all from this. Right. Um, but as like, there have certainly been shaper decks that I've looked at where it's like, well, I guess I'll run a console or some hardware or like some plus MU hardware. It's like, I don't, I don't like the console is expensive to install and I don't really need its ability, but it's probably a better source of MU than just packing three Akamatsu mem chips or whatever. Yeah. But having this as an option now for what is like, a slightly leaner shaper deck where sure. you really just need say six MU. Yeah, that is like it can be super potent in that regard. Yeah, and you know if you're really worried about it, you pack a sacrificial construct or whatever, and you're fine. Yep, I, it, it's it's a neat card. It, it's gonna make some neat decks. I think. Uh, yeah, everybody's been in that place where like I could really use some MU. Like I, I want more more options. I want more, which yeah. is what shaper's all about. So the card fits perfectly. Yeah, yeah, and and one cost out of Kate. Like man, yeah. That Jeez. is that is pretty pretty nuts. Yeah, not bad. Um, well, what else did you like on the runner side? Runner side, I'm like I'm like I'm I'm passing through, and I'm like, <laughs> like I, I I I really can't see anything. Uh, oh, okay, let's talk about this card because it's got a kind of a neat thing. It's a unique card. Uh, it's a resource. It's called Eden Shard. Yes, I I saw it because the both the shards and the uh, fragments, fragments are yeah. going to be a reoccurring. Uh, mechanical element throughout this entire data pack, it probably bears talking about this regardless. Sure, yeah. So it's a resource, virtual source. Uh, one influence costs... Seven. Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's interesting. One influence costs seven to the get answer. out. Or, let's read the card here. Whenever yes. you make a successful run on R&D, instead of accessing cards, you may install Eden Shard from your grip, ignoring all costs. Yep. So Which is probably, not. hopefully, how you're bringing yes. this card out. Unless... There's a really, really, really <laughs> specific reason, I guess. Yep. And it's this is unique, and it's a limit one per deck. So they're really hitting it home. Yep. That it's going to be one of these. Its only ability is trash. The corp draws two cards. Yep. Forced. Yep. So this is the card that kind of dumps on the power shutdown combo. 
Sure. Yep. It offers you. It well, it's it's basically an instant win. Um, it's not. Uh, yeah, basically. Um, because like, because because it, they missed their accelerated diagnostics. Yeah, because now accelerated like if someone were to say power shut down their entire deck, bring Jackson Howard, use Jackson Howard to bring back three cards right before they can use, they can then play accelerated diagnostics. That's right. You can just trash Eden Shard, and they, they draw, draw two cards, and they only have one click left, and there's only one card in there. So the next turn, they're gonna draw, and then the turn after that, that's it. Yeah, that's right. Um. So, yeah, it can definitely offer you some protection from that. That's, I mean, that's a pretty corner case use. Yeah, I, I, I know. Um, what, what, like, what did you see? Do you see, like, maybe so, more R&D accesses? Yeah, so uh, the thing that I think is actually very useful with it is, like, really playing the runner game is all, well, certainly some ways to play are all about being able to exploit your opportunities when you have them, right? Yeah. Like, rare indeed is the runner that in perpetuity is going to be able to hit R&D every single turn. Right. right? Like, if that's the case, the corporation is doing something wrong. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, but if you have, say, like, two or, God, even three R&D interfaces out and the corporation is really low on money and you can get into R&D reliably this turn, you want to make that count as much as possible. So you hit R&D, you, like, trash one thing, nothing. You go again... You see, you get one agenda, but that's it. And now the like the the three cards you looked at are all untrashable. Now it's like, well, now you can get rid of Eden Shard. Corp draws two cards. You can run again. You can open that and up, see yeah. even more cards. And like the fact, like that is part of the reason why medium plus demo run is so crazy. Because it's it's, right? it's not that it's not just that the trash is awesome, but it's really just getting those cards out of the way. Yeah, so, so you, you get can some fresh see other stuff. Yeah, because like all you got to do is touch those agendas, um, and if you can like. In, in a single turn, like, pick up four points by forcing the corporation to draw two extra cards. It's great. And then, hypothetically, now their HQ has got some extra crap in there. Yep. They were probably holding on to some agendas anyway. Um, or you can, like, if you saw a, a bloody NAPD contract that you didn't want to pay to score, you can just be like, just draw that goddamn thing. I'm not going to try to find something else in yeah, there instead. Yeah. Like, it's flexible. I mean, like, I, I wouldn't put this in in just, like, any deck, right? Sure. But, but a deck that was definitely, like intensely R&D focused. Sure, yeah. That it has... It'd be use, a cool fit. It has uses for sure. That, like, yeah, just being able to exploit those windows of opportunity as much as possible. Yeah, and I also like the um, the idea of when you've run and you can not access cards and then play it. And mm -hmm. that actually, like, makes runner take a step back from the R&D access. If, right. If you leave your R&D open first turn, I can score an Eden shot off you, but I did miss an access. Right. Right, yeah. like the card still feels balanced. Yeah, and it gives you stuff to do if you can get into R&D, but there's nothing there for you to do, right? Sure. You have the top card, oh, it's a hedge fund. Okay, well, I'll run again and install Eden Shard instead. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, can, you can do it in reverse order, for sure. Yeah, right. And like a, a cost of seven, and that's just so that late game when R&D is a hassle, you can muscle it out. If you had to, yeah. If you had to, yeah. yeah. But typically you want it, you, you want that... that you want to install it off the R&D yeah. access. <laughs> I'm, I'm just wondering what it, I guess, like, thematically what it is. I guess it's a place in space where you can hang out. Kind Maybe? Of, I'm, I'm kind of getting I, I, it, I think, it, It's a I virtual think... source resource. Like, source is a new thing, I think, isn't it? I yeah. I, so I think both the shards and the fragments are part of, like, the original net protocols. And they were, like, the source. Yeah, thematically, uh, beyond, like, just being a vague ephemeral yeah. thing. Right. I don't totally know what they are supposed yeah. to be. <laughs> Some I, kind I, of... I kind of miss t tampering with my spine to get on the internet faster. Right. <laughs> when, when, when I see cards. There, like there, there's an obviousness there. That yeah. This is definitely more um, 
more virtual. That's yeah. But I true. guess it's virtual anyway, so it kind of makes I guess sense. It, I guess it makes sense. Um, yeah, and I think that was basically Upstock. Yeah, that's it was, Upstock. It was there's some cool stuff in here, but I think more than anything, aside from like Nasir is super interesting, and there's a few other interesting cards, but I think more than anything else, it definitely lays the groundwork for. A lot of stuff. Yep. For the shards. They, for the we're going to be seeing for, shards fragments. Yeah. For rail ice. Yep. Like there's going to be a lot of stuff coming down the pike that builds on a lot of these things, and that's really cool. Yeah, it's cool. And then the first pack is always a little bit dry on these because they are. It's right. It's 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 foundations. It's not as flashy as like the last data pack where everything's bonkers and everything's established. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It's but cool. no, cool. Good job as usual. Yeah. FFG. Giving um, us giving us stuff to cast about, which is always good. That's right. <laughs> Um, okay, well, that's Upstock, but we did have, uh, we'll do a little bit of remail. Cool. And then because we were away for a bit, uh, we have a, a bit of housekeeping to do, and then we'll be good. That's right. Um, uh, we just had two that were, I thought would be interesting to talk about. Um, the first one was from Peter L. on Twitter. He said, I am horrible at deck building, and it feels like a cheat if I net deck, which I agree with. Um, <laughs> what's a good place to start for learning how to deck build well? Hmm. I think it's actually a good question. Um, so I do think just like straight, I mean, whatever. People can play however they want, and that's totally fine. Yep. But I, at least for me, like a big satisfaction in, in playing Netrunner comes from the problem solving of building a deck that works. And sure. when you literally just look at something somebody else <laughs> put together, pull out those 45 cards and start playing with it, it's you're, like... You're going to lose flat out. Like, oh, yeah, I, so, so I there's that. Will. There's like you don't know how to play it. Like there is no deck in the game that is so bloody obvious of the right way to do it and understanding like its tempo and its timing and like what cards you want to see early versus and dig for versus what stuff you can just kind of pick up whenever it comes around. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely that. Like I think just straight up looking at somebody else's deck and playing it is not a very good way to figure out how to deck build. Well. No, no. And it's not it's not that it's it's cheating or whatever. Like it doesn't matter who how you ended up with this information. It's just like you're you're not doing yourself a, a favor. Yeah. By going off and taking someone's deck. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a, a good point about about this. Uh, our friend Shane Neville. Uh, he uh, he fell off uh, Netrunner for a little bit, mm-hmm. and then he came up and he actually said that he enjoyed the cast and it oh, helped him come back Shane. in, which was awesome. Shout out to Shane. He said I started really enjoying it when I just started making my own decks. Yeah. That that's when Netrunner became awesome for him again. Yeah. Was when he's like, oh, because because you're right, it is a cool, interesting problem that you can solve. Because right. when you win with a deck you made, it's like that's rad. It's rad. Yeah. It's so you rad. weren't just kind of, I mean, like you weren't just standing on the shoulders of giants. Like, sure. You were actually do- doing something well that you came up with. That's sweet. Um, so figuring out how to like actually get better at that, I mean, what what I think can be valuable is not just straight up cloning somebody else's decks, but like picking whatever faction you happen to enjoy playing and look at like three, four, five of like good, solid decks from that faction. It's like, okay, well, what do all these things have in common? You know, what is their... What's their ice composition? Like, about how many pieces of ice do they have? Because that's really, like, at least, so on corpse side, definitely the things are all, like, it's always going to come down to four things, right? Like, ice, economy, agendas, agenda count, yeah. and the thing that lets you score agendas. Right. Or the thing that lets you win the game, rather, yeah. to be more general. So either that might be, if you're playing Jinteki or Wayland, that might be, oh, I'm going to win through damage. Aside from scoring agendas. If you're playing, like, HB or, or NBN, it's, oh, I'm going to win by scoring agendas straight on my HQ so the runner will never have a chance to steal them. Right. Or I'm going to build a remote server that's got freaking Caprice, Naysay, and Ash and is just so expensive to get into the runner's not going to be able to get in there enough times to score it 
when I put the big heavy 5.3 in there or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's also you need to find <laughs> what you like doing in Netrunner. Like, yeah. I love first, I love putting Neil Katana and everything, but I like weird surprises and yeah. that kind of thing. And it, when, when you find, when you start playing the game more and you find out st- strategies you enjoy, then you can start, then all of a sudden deck building becomes really fascinating because you can bring right. in all these elements from everywhere. And uh, Yeah, so look, so look at like a bunch of other, not a bunch, but like a handful of other decks and see like, okay, well, where is their money coming from? Like, how many ice do they have? Like, what is what is the different strength of ice? Like, and because that's that's the kind of big stuff, right? It's like if you have a bunch of really expensive to res ice, and you have kind of like middling econ, you're probably gonna be in trouble. <laughs> sure. But if you got money coming out your ears, but the only thing you've got is like ice walls, enigmas, and dracos. Yep. Well, you got nothing good to spend that money on, probably. And the runner after they get their program set up are going to be able to get into your servers. You're no the most. Yep. So yeah, it's like that. Just look at a bunch of other similar decks as reference and kind of use the the you know, the the burgoo of all of those different ideas together to, like, be the basis for what you want to do on your own, right? Yeah. And on the runner side, it's basically just, it's like, what are, the the big challenges runner side are econ, card draw, and, like, what's your path to victory? Like, yeah, how are you getting into things? Yeah, exactly. Are you even, are you going to glory run it? Are you focusing on R&D? Is HQ, are you going to make HQ your bitch? Like, I, like yeah. that's, it's going to be... Finding out, like, because you can't do everything well. You can yes, only do that's one impossible. or one and a half things yeah. good. Yeah, so, like there, there are, like, there are plenty of cards that are good and strong in isolation, but together they're not actually very synergistic. Yeah. So just having, like, oh, these six cards are all red. I will put them all together. But then it's like, okay, well, you don't have any card draw, so you can't actually get those cards. So what do you do? Or now you've got a crap load of money, but you can only ever get one access on a server you get into, so... You're just hoping to get really lucky and pick up the right agendas because if you don't, that's it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think probably the big thing to start is if you're looking to figure out how to build your own decks that are good. It's like look at a handful of stuff that's out there, mm-hmm. figure out what your paths to victory are, and then just pick something and start iterating on it. Like yeah. take some stuff out, put some stuff in, try it. Like this is, in general, I don't like playing on Octagon very much, but this is actually what Octagon can be good for. Sure. Is that you don't have to go into your binder or your boxes, pull some cards call out. Call up your like, friend. Yeah, yeah. Call, exactly. You can just be like, all right, I'll put these, like, this weird kind of deck together. I'll jump on there 15 minutes later. If it just got ruined, you try it again. It also gets ruined. You're like, okay, well, what didn't work? And that's the other thing is, like, at least for, for me, it's, like, being critical, like, looking at... I mean, sometimes you just have bad luck and that happens. But, like... If things seem to be consistently falling short, it's like, where are they falling short? Yeah. Are my servers too permeable? Do not have a way to punish the runner for getting into my servers? Do I just not have enough money? Um, can I not get into R&D reliably? Is it is it too slow to get my program set up? Whatever. Yeah. Um, that, that, like, iteration and then looking at what isn't working and figuring out how to shore that up. Yeah. That's a good, that's a great answer. I I didn't mean to no, 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 word vomit over all of that. No, I think I, I think that's I think that's perfect. So thanks for the tweet, and uh, yeah. So this one is very uh, is very corner case, but I do have a in general have an interest in talking about stuff that doesn't get talked about a lot. Okay. So uh, Patrick Craig from New Brunswick here in Canada asked. Right. I've been playing for about two months. This was a while ago, so maybe it's more like three months now. Um, with the core set and a few Genesis packs. Uh, I want to know what is the best cell portal deck you've ever played with against. I really want this card to work, but I can't seem to get <laughs> things to pan out. Thanks for reading my email and keep the podcast going. Talk about edge case. <laughs> cell portal deck. Okay. 
Um, it's for me. It was I, the ones I played against. It's it's the server of so, Jeff. So as a right. as a refresher. Sorry. Yes. Please because, mention this card yeah. that nobody plays. Yeah. So <laughs> Cell Portal was in the core set. It was Jinteki Ice in the core set that I think no one has used much since. Um, no. Five to res. It is a five to res code gate that is seven strength. Uh, that only has one subroutine, and what that subroutine does is it forces the runner to restart the run at the, at the top of this yeah. server. So and then you derez cell portal. and then you derez cell portal. Yeah. Um. So obviously cell portal is very strange. <laughs> like on its own, it's worthless. Yep. Um. It's expensive as hell. Yep. Um. And it's only good if you have a bunch of other like cell like an ice wall in front of a cell portal <laughs> ain't doing you any favors. Yeah. So this is so we're talking the server of death. Deck. That is certainly one option. What one option? Okay. There's there's another option. Yeah, keep going. Okay. Keep going. Well, I'm <laughs> I'm out of ideas. <laughs> That's really all I have. Uh, so what's the what's the self so, so, so server, server, server of death is you have something that loops the runner through an endless chain of either money gaining like a shadow or something. Sure. Or you need enough money to continually res cell portal and wor- trap them in with whirlpool. Yes. And you've trapped them in a permanent loop. Right. Of uh. So yeah, Whirlpool is a Jinteki trap piece of ice, which, because it's a trap, yep. it can only be broken by AI breakers. And when it fires, it basically says the runner cannot jack out from this run. Yep. Period. So if the cell portal keeps firing, the runner can't leave Yes. the server. Yeah. And so, I believe the ruling is... Like, if the game is literally in an infinite state, I don't know how would you would get there, but if the game is literally in an infinite state, then it's on whoever's turn it is... To, oh, sorry. It's on the corporation to eventually say, uh, okay, well, we'll stop this. Yeah, but what ends up happening is they have a, a Akitaro Watanabe. Yes. And, um, and a overs- shadow or some... Or an overscored brain trust or something. Sure. So something that makes the cell portal f- technically free or, like, free, free during the run. Yeah, so you can basically send him through a, a, a few times. Right. So the idea being, like, you have Whirlpool, Neural Katana, cell portal. If, you ha- if the corporation has enough money and the runner doesn't have a decoder... They hit cell portal. You pay. They go back to the top. Now they have to pay to get through neural katana. They're gonna and eventually, eventually they run. And if if the runner runs out of money before the corporation does, they'll take enough net damage and flatline. And just flatline. Yeah. Um, that's even more vicious with Koma Inu. Yeah. Because every time, <laughs> every time Koma yeah. Inu is encountered, it gets more net damage subroutines equal to the runner's grip size because it's. From the initial? Yeah, so the there initial ones yeah. stay. So if you go into this crazy... <laughs> Doom server! Yeah, Koma Inu cell portal thing, and your your grip is five, okay, now Koma Inu has five, you have like a mimic, whatever, you pay five credits to break them all. If you go back, oh, it still has those original five net damage subroutines, and now you, you still have five cards in your grip, so now it has ten. Right. And then it has fifteen. Yeah. Um, so the idea being, if, if you have enough money... You can eventually just destroy the runner. Yeah. Um, that is the most combo-y, insane thing that's sure, just not sure. good. So it sounds like you're going to bring some sanity to this. Yes. And... So the uh, so the, I mean, it's not it's certainly not a thing you'd want to put everywhere. But obviously, the one one big thing you want to do is make it cheaper to res cell portal. Yeah. So that that could potentially mean Akitaro Watanabe. It could mean using a dedicated server. Yep. Which is that Jinteki asset that gives you two reoccurring credits to res ice, um, stuff like that. So making cell portal cheaper is important. But what Cell Portal can do is it can still give you opportunities in the late game 
went to score, like, not fast advance, crazy stuff to just, like... like good old-fashioned yeah, scoring. Yeah, just, just adva- <laughs> install, advance some, and the next turn advance more. Late game, even when the runner has all their breakers set up. Because it is really bloody expensive. Like, yeah. it's a seven-strength no code one, gate. And, co- and code gates are notoriously the most expensive to break. Yeah. Even with Torch, it's four credits. Yeah. Right? Um, which... For a code gate with torch <laughs> is a lot. <laughs> not too many people can get a torch out. Right. So I'm the tricky. So yeah, that like the idea, and you don't have to res it like after the first time, right? right? Or so like if you can drain the runner of enough money, then they finally get past where the cell portal was. Oh, and then there's a Caprice Nisei. They fail the side game. Oh, now they're super broke, and the next turn you just score a thing. Whatever. Sure. Um. It, that that is like its actual big intended use. The fact that it was in the core set with a bunch of other like is not, bizarre. Yeah, very and, very <laughs> like cheap to break Jinteki ice. Yeah, and 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 everyone's saying, oh, use Jinteki. You're learning like that. <laughs> yeah, it did not make a lot of sense. No. But what it, like having one or two if you have other like other cars to support. Sure, like being, maybe maybe swapping around ice would be. You could actually build up a server. You could move the cell portal right later on. Yeah, yeah. So stuff like that where you could, like, th- it gives you a strong, like, a seven strength anything that costs five credits to res is crazy. It's just that it also derezzes itself, so that sucks. Um, but if you, it can it can be a big tax on the runner yeah. late game, which is important. I mean, probably not the best way to do that, especially now that you have Caprice Nisei, but that is an actual good use for it. Is like, sure. It is a good, solid piece of taxing ice. Provided the corporation has the money or means to use that well. Right. And I guess you could always chum into it and on a Doom server. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I mean, so, like, if you got a chum in front of it, God, now it's rank 9, yeah. and you're dealing 3 net damage, and blech. Yeah. I, I do like the card for the just mus- muscle-wise. It's 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 breaks the rules of how the ice is balanced in the game. Yeah. Five for a seven and a weird thing, but a D-Res, like, yeah. yeah. It's adding yeah. a lot of interesting elements. Yeah, it's interesting, but it's certainly cool. not. Cool, good, a... good question, because we don't yes. get to talk about cards like that yeah. too often. Yeah, so if people have other questions that are about stuff like that, those are certainly welcome. Um, as for other housekeeping type of stuff, uh, one thing that I definitely wanted to mention, um, because we have, we have raved about how good this software. So there's this iPad app for managing Netrunner tournaments oh, yeah. called NRTM, which is awesome. Yep. But the developer or developers, I can't remember if it's one person or two, who made that recently made another iOS app, but this is for deck building. Oh, It's cool. called NetDeck. Um, currently, it is just on iOS, unfortunately. Wop, Android wops. folks. Maybe they're going to do a point port at some point. I don't know. Um, but you can just look on the App Store for iOS NetDeck. Um, it is awesome. Cool. Like, it is super good. As a, like, I can sit on my couch and, like, fiddle with, you know, first for, 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 like, first five? Does it have that? I think it does. Um, It has a bunch of other great features. Like, it syncs with Dropbox, oh, which wow. is, yeah, so I can, like, build a thing on Meteor on my computer, put it in this, this sync Dropbox folder, sit on my couch later, fire up the iPad app. It just imports the deck. You can tweak it, save the changes. It's really robust and really good. Cool. Um, it's very usable. Like, it's very simple and polished and slick the way this stuff kind of should be. It's not janky with a bunch of, like, gross UI or whatever. It's really, really, really good. And it's free. Those guys, how are they doing it? So, people should definitely check it out. Cool. Um, in addition, 
we have a, a, a fellow named Wesley Slover. He sent us an email that he has kind of done three. He's a, he's a composer. Oh yes. Um, for yeah, for film and games and stuff. He actually worked on, I believe, Galaxy, which is an upcoming game. Yeah. From the seventeen bit. Uh, 17 bit. Out which down is Seattle. Be also, uh, yeah. Seattle for now. They're soon moving to Kyoto. What? Yeah. Oh, I'm that's super, cool. Yeah, I'm I super jealous I... of Jake and the rest of those guys. Oh, that's so cool. Um, but this uh, this guy, Wes Lover, he's an independent composer. Um, he did three special tracks that are like Netrunner, f- like the, the musical equivalent of fan art. Yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah, whatever yeah, very you call much, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, he did one like electro track for each of the runner factions that are all themed toward those and factions. And I gotta say... And they're think, all thematically really good. Yeah, I think he nailed it. I was, yeah, <laughs> I was really yeah. excited. Like, like the Anarch one is very much like like the kind of music you'd expect to play in a club like Wildside. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. it's this and, like, and, definitely like and 90s shape, EBM dance beat. Yeah, and then the shaper was really kind of like, like 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 dreamy a little bit. Yeah, like it's very like, very trance. Yeah. And the Criminal Ones was like really like slick. It's a uh, it's awesome. Yep. And they're all free. People should check it out. Um, it's the it's at the Buffalo, like the proper pronoun, the Buffalo slash album slash the runner factions. But if you just go to the Buffalo there, there's a link right there. Yeah. Um, which is totally cool, and people should definitely check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, two tournament mentions. One, uh, we. And I say we, even though it's actually just going to be me, um, <laughs> are hosting a tournament on August 9th. Yeah. The, the, uh, it unfortunately conflicts with another event. That's correct. Uh, a game dev event industry here in town, but I picked the date for this before the date for that was announced. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it is August 9th at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the venue wanted it to have it where we had it last time, but unfortunately that space was unavailable. But the kind folks at Starlet Citadel were kind enough to donate some of their space. That's so right. it will be at the, the Starlet Citadel offices, which is on 7th and Manitoba here in Vancouver. Um, Saturday, August 9th, it starts, registration tar- starts at 10 o'clock in the morning, tournaments at 10.30. Um, just normal decks, upstock is going to be legal. Um, yeah, it's going to be really fun. It's going to be some cool games. For sure. We, we got a, a full prize kit that has a rad Reina mat and those lovely Jinteki alt art IDs. Ooh. Yeah. So nice. there's there's some there's some good stuff with playing for. Plus, just going to be really fun. As I decided, you see the new Plaskreets? Yes. Nah, I'm pretty sexy. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> tournament, the, the, the prize kits that are for like this winter. Yeah, the winter. It's a alternative art Wayland, which is kind of hard to make out, and then a fancy Plaskreet. A fancy Plaskreet. Super fancy. Though if you're wearing that, it's a little obvious what you're doing. Yeah. I, I think. Maybe you only, like, maybe you get like an alert on your <laughs> cyber watch that says oh, there's some men in camouflage <laughs> and with assault rifles coming up your building, and then you boot your closet and put it on yeah. as you dive out the window or yep. something. Um, yeah, but definitely go, if you're interested, hit up that tournament. It'll be fun. Nels, yeah. Nels throws the best tournaments. I do just show up. I'm just the face. That's False. all. False. <laughs> That's, it's it's going to be a good time. Uh, yeah, and then um, this is unfortunately completely inaccessible to us because we live on the wrong side of this gigantic bloody continent. But the Canadian National, like the official FFG National Tournaments, are happening just outside of Toronto. Toronto, in, yeah. I think Mississauga, one of those... Areas around Toronto. That's not Toronto, but it's basically Toronto. Um, it's actually going to be split over two days, which I think is awesome. Oh, that's uh, cool. August 16th and 17th. 
Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I think like the the Swiss the Swiss like normal tournament rounds are going to be on the first day, and then yes. like the top how thank many, you yeah sixteen or thirty two people are all going to be playing on the second day. So hopefully it will not be a tournament that goes to like bleary two a.m. Yeah, come on, come on, guys. People like they stop working after nine hours of yes. <laughs> cool. That that's that's cool. Yep. Best of luck to everyone who goes in there. And uh, yes. Yeah. Finally, uh, courtesy of a supremely rad leader uh, listener named Ferris Terran, um, he actually sent us three additional copies of the Alternative Art Wildside. Beautiful card, which is lovely. Oh, the card is the, gorgeous. It makes you want to play Wildside. Yep. I gotta tell you that much. He gave us three of those to give away, which we we're gonna do. That's good. Um, so I thought it would be cool if people write in and sent, share with us either stories or decks that involve a greatly underplayed card. That's a, Like, yeah. say, Cell Portal. Sure. Um, Data Hound. We yeah. have, like, yeah, some 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 great stuff like that. Yeah, like, either awesome. a great use of an uncommon card like that or a deck that makes great use of it or something like that. And then the three that we think are the most interesting, we'll get in touch with you, we'll get your address, and we'll mail you these rad cards n- kindly ensconced in some cardboard so it doesn't get bent. Yeah, and uh, we'll read them out because that'll be fun, too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we'll do that on, they will say, give it until, like, sometime the next two, if... We will probably want to read them on the next cast, so folks should probably get them in in like the next couple of weeks. Great, yeah. Um, and that is about it. So thanks very much, as always, for listening. Um, mild apologies for the delay, which apparently I didn't think was that long, but I guess it kind of was. It, I guess it was. I, I got a lot of uh, people asking. Yeah. So so um, we, we've got um, Jesse and I, as we kind of mentioned er, a little bit earlier, we played in an Overmind draft last weekend, which was su- – not Overmind, Overdrive, Overdrive. which it prominently features, features Overmind. Overmind. Yep. Um, we played in one of those last weekend, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the next cast – we're just going to talk about that because obviously there isn't going to be the next Lunar Cycle data pack isn't going to be for at least another month. Um, But we'll talk about Overdrive and kind of how it differs from Cyber War, some of the, maybe a few of the cards we saw that are going to be coming in the future and kind of the, what that implies for other stuff. And I think it could be... uh, Yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited because I had a really, I had a lot of fun. It was, it was really, really fun. And it was great. We actually... The last match was me and you. Yeah, which is to basically good. decide who would come in first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good and stuff. And we, we will not spoil the outcome no, yet. No, we won't. We so won't. Tune in in a few weeks, and we will we will discuss and reveal. Um, and so, as always, uh, for for that alt art uh, wildside giveaway, or for any other questions, thoughts, whatever, email us at terminal seven at idlethumbs.net. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at Term7. Um, as always, thank you very much to our extremely talented and Tornado wielding, tornado wielding, handsome uh, recording engineer Matt Martinson, who makes this thing not sound like butt, and you can very much tell when he's not the one <laughs> helping us out, him or Kevin. Um, uh, as, as we've mentioned in the past, Matt also is a composer of his own. Um, he does a bunch of weird but cool dark ambient music. Um, he was releasing a ton of EPs this year. Will continue to do so. Uh, and those are all available at mattesque.bandcamp.com, M-A-T-T-E-S-Q-U-E. And as always, thank you very much to Ed Harrison for letting us use his track, Tin Soldiers, from the Neo-Tokyo OST. 
And um, so the Neo Tokyo, we mentioned this probably way, way in the past, but if people didn't listen to like the first episode of the podcast, they probably didn't know um, that this music is all from a Half-Life 2 mod. Right, yeah. A multiplayer Half-Life 2 mod called Neo Tokyo, which is very Counter-Strike, but it's Counter-Strike by way of Ghost in the Shell. Cool. I mentioned this because it was recently uploaded to Steam. Oh, neat. Um, like before you could like download it from the website and install it into like a special director on your yeah. computer and then it would show up on Steam. It was kind of clunky. It was like trying to start DayZ before DayZ came out. Exactly. Yeah. But now it's just like you just search for Neo Tokyo on Steam. You can get it. If cool. you have Half-Life 2, you can just install it because it's a free mod. And um, everyone has Half-Life 2. Basically, yes. <laughs> yeah. If you have Steam, you own Half-Life 2. <laughs> um, and hopefully the fact that it was recently put on Steam might mean the servers are a little bit more active. Um, it is definitely like a hardcore, really, really tactical team-based first-person shooter, but it's also really goddamn good, and it has a phenomenal soundtrack. Super. And so check out the mod, but definitely go grab the soundtrack. That's at edharrison.bandcamp.com. Fucking embarrassing. What's that?